I'm probably worse at writing it myself. Um, but that isn't true for my husband, Larry. You might not know, but uh, as long as I've known him, which is a pretty long time, um, that he's always enjoyed poetry. So he'll read um, poetry for himself just for fun. And even at times, he has written some poetry for um, just by himself. Nobody else really reads the poetry. Um, he may have even written a poem to a young girl in college many, many years ago when we first started dating that will not see the light of day. Um, but I do, do recall that happened. Uh, but poetry runs in his family a little bit. His grandmother wrote poetry throughout her life as a bit of a hobby. And a few years ago, her daughters, his aunts, uh, collected her poetry and put it in a book so that um, her friends and family could read them. And so this week, I went through uh, Norma Bennett's poetry and read a little bit for myself. But poetry can be challenging for us to understand. Even if you don't study poetry regularly, I still imagine that for all of us, we all have those song lyrics that are really important to us. Certain songs that we completely relate to the emotions and the feelings that are in the words of the songs um, that we really love. Words that maybe we would struggle to write ourselves, but they really describe how we have felt at times in our lives. So the poet T.S. Eliot wrote that poetry may make us from time to time a little more aware of the deeper unnamed feelings which form in the substratum of our being. So those deep feelings that sometimes we don't want to look at, um, the poetry has that power to, to um, show that to us. So it shouldn't surprise us that throughout scripture there are books and passages that are written in the literary form of poetry. Written in an ancient time, but with words and emotions that we can relate to today. And that is true with the Old Testament book of prophecy, the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to be looking um, at this book together for the next four weeks, and we're going to focus each week on some of the poetry, um, the poetry passage is in this book. And I mentioned that much of this book um, is poetry, and it is historically believed to be written by the prophet Jeremiah. But along with the poetry, there's also prose that are written by an editor later, at, later than um, when Jeremiah wrote the poetry. So they collected all of this poetry, and uh, the editor or editors uh, tried to kind of add their own commentary. They extend and explain the poetry of Jeremiah. And when they did this, when they collect that collected all that information and material, then um, they kind of decided how they wanted to arrange it um, so that the readers could understand what's happening. But they didn't arrange it chronologically. So that makes it especially hard for us to understand, to decipher what's really happening in this poetry. And so um, it's important for us to remember that the first readers of this, they would have understood the Jewish history, what is going on in Jeremiah's life, but for most of us, we are kind of unaware of that. And so it's helpful for us to know the history that's going on for uh, the Jewish people at the time. I mentioned before that I read some of Larry's grandmother's poetry this week. And much of it is very clear who she's talking about. She names her children. She names grandchildren. Larry didn't have a whole poem dedicated to him. There's just a little mention in one of them. But uh, uh, she had a lot of grandchildren. But um, there was one poem in particular that was very um, mysterious, it was a little less direct. You don't really know what 
um, what she's exactly speaking about. It's a poem called I Want to Be Near You. And in that poem, she talks about longing to be held and to hold somebody um, special in her life. Um, and there's deep sadness in the poem. But because I know some of her story, I wondered when could this poem be written? Could it have been written at a time when her husband was away in World War II fighting? Or perhaps it was just a time in their marriage where um, they were distant from one another, where you know kids and work kind of kept them at a distance. Or maybe it isn't even about her husband. I wondered if maybe it was written at a time where she was dealing with grief of losing a son who died as a toddler. Or perhaps, maybe because of the stage I'm at, I wondered if it was written after her kids left home, just missing her children and just being able to touch them on a regular basis. All of these questions would have been impossible for a, a stranger really to read into this poem because they wouldn't have known Norma Bennett's story. But because I do, I could kind of identify even more powerfully with the emotions that she is talking about in this poem, even though they are written to describe her own experience. And that is really what the power of poetry is all about. And so it's important for us to understand the events that are occurring surrounding Jeremiah's life in which he is a, in which he's writing. Um, and so that's going to require a little bit of a history lesson. So um, I am not a history teacher. I, I thought about bringing like a chalkboard and trying to like write a lot of dates on there and names of people, um, but I didn't want to overwhelm you with details, uh, and I just want to help kind of help you understand what's happening. But my hope is that even if you don't get anything that's happening historically in the book of Jeremiah, that the Holy Spirit, we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is working here, helping us as we read these passages to really help us contemplate how they relate to us in our lives today. So, there is only one date that I want you guys to remember. You don't really need to remember it, but just remember there's one really important date, okay? And that date is 587, and that is the date that the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. And the reason that that date is so important is that it was an event that most of the Jewish people, they just couldn't have believed would ever happen. And when it did, it left them in a bit of a crisis of their identity as a people and a crisis of, an a crisis of, of their faith, really, in God. Um, how could he let this happen to them? And so they asked questions like, who are we as God's chosen people without the temple here for us? How can we worship God if we don't have the temple? And how can God, how can God let this happen to us? And the only thing that I can kind of relate to us um, here in New York City in our own lives is 9-11. And that is an incredibly important date in all of our lives. And for those of us who were adults, um, when this event happened, we can kind of remember what life was like before 9-11. And we realize there's some differences afterwards. Our identity as a people, um, the way we interact with other nations has changed because of what happened that day. And certainly we, there was great loss on that day, but much smaller than a lot of other events that we um, experienced as a nation. And yet this event had such a powerful um, impact on our culture. And I think that um, dis our descendants, you know, generations from now, they will know that date. They will know that something um, major happened that changed 
really how um, New Yorkers and um, Americans functioned. And that is very similar to, and even greater, um, how 587 affected the Jewish people. And so Jeremiah is called by God years before the temple's destruction to speak out about God's anger against the Jewish people and their unfaithfulness to him and his laws. So the book covers before that time, um, and it covers the time when the Babylonian Empire comes and starts taking the leaders of uh, the nation of Judah, and they're taking, they're very strategic, they're taking the political leaders, they're taking the wealthy people, they're taking the scholars and the religious leaders, and the, uh, groups at a time. So we know the exact number, it's 4,600 people that they took. Not a huge amount when you're thinking about a whole nation, but a powerful um, event for the Jewish people. Now all of their leaders are living in exile in Babylon. And so Jeremiah is speaking to uh, the nation of Judah during this time and also after when they're living in exile. And so before 587, Jeremiah is speaking to a people that are in denial. They are in denial that they are in danger at all. And so if you want to kind of see the history, if you really like all those names and dates, um, look in 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25, and you will see the names of all the kings that are um, come before Jeremiah and during Jeremiah, um, his role as a prophet. And what you will see is all of these kings that are um, descendants of David, and some of them are good kings, some of them, a lot of them, are really bad kings. So they um, don't keep the teachings and the laws of God. They actually start worshiping idols um, from the gods of Assyria. They bring them even into the temple. And then there is one king, King Josiah, who is actually the king during uh, Jeremiah as he's called to be a prophet. And King Josiah, you might remember, he finds a hidden scroll and they look at that scroll, and they're reminded of this relationship that they were supposed to have with God. And so he starts to lead the nation into repentance. And that is the time that Jeremiah um, begins his ministry, you would say. Um, he tries to remind the Jewish people that long ago God made an agreement with them, um, what he called a covenant, with the Jewish leaders, um, Moses in particular, and how he wanted um, his relationship to be with the Jews. And so I just want us to read uh, that in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. It says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, his decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing. So in its most basic form, the covenant goes something like this. If you obey you get prosperity, but if you disobey, you will suffer adversity. Now, I just want to pause right here for a moment. That's tough. Um, it is what the agreement was, but um, it has led the Jewish people, and I would say Christian people as well, 
to kind of have this um, idea in our head that if anything bad happens, it's because you did something wrong and um, God is punishing you. And uh, if you've gotten that at times, it doesn't feel great. And I will just say that there's a whole book in the Old Testament that kind of challenges that. It's the book of Job. And basically, it shows that um, there, at least at one person's experience where really bad things happen to him and it is not because he was unfaithful. So I just want to put that to help us remember, um, and we also see this also in the New Testament with Jesus, that he kind of um, confronts that opinion that it's always, um, our suffering is always in retaliation for our, our something we've done. I think that's important for us to mention today. But in this case, with Jeremiah, he's pretty much making it clear that um, this was the agreement you made, and what is going to happen to you is because God is upset. And that was a struggle to tell these people who had gotten rid of their idols, and they're keeping Sabbath again, they're celebrating holy days, and so they think we're good, right? God is good with us. We're doing what it takes for God to be good with us. But Jeremiah, what he really says is, you're forgetting about the poor people among you. You're forgetting about the widows and the foreigners, and there is injustice all around you. As you are keeping Sabbath, there are people suffering around you, and that is not um, good enough. And so they thought, oh, you know, we show up to temple, we offer sacrifices, we say our prayers, we're good. And God says, no, that isn't good enough. And so we see, it's very clear in Jeremiah that 587, that God allows that to happen, that the temple is destroyed um, because of how the injustice that they are allowing um, in uh, the nation of Judah. And so uh, Jeremiah, that's his job. He, his job is to speak to them um, as they are in denial, but also he's called to speak to them afterwards when they are living in exile and they are in despair. He's called to give them hope about their future. And that is why one of the most famous passages in the book of Jeremiah is one about hope. Um, you've probably heard it before. It's found in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen. I am not sure, um, though, that this message was appreciated by people who, you know, Jeremiah is saying this to people who have lost their homes, they've lost their identity, they've lost their wealth, their safety, um, they're living in exile, and, you know, it's, it's great to have this hope in a future, but they are living in the suffering and the pain of um, what happens to um, the exile. And so, I wonder if some of us can relate to those feelings that the people are struggling with. At times when you feel hopeless in your own life, when you're suffering through pain and trials, how do you not give up and live in that despair? How do you continue to just not remember that verse, that promise, but actually live in that verse, um, that God has promised a rescue and to give us a future? So it isn't a, a huge surprise that this book of Jeremiah has been so important to the, the Jewish people in particular over the years, their history of suffering, that they have looked to both the promises and the pain that they have found in the book of Jeremiah. 
So the title that we have picked for this um, series, Pain and Promise, actually comes from a title of a book by um, author Kathleen O'Connor, who wrote a book focusing on the book of Jeremiah. But her specialty is kind of looking at um, trauma that is a shared trauma of an entire group of people who go through an, a tragic event. So looking at people who go through war or genocide or natural disasters like hurricanes and um, earthquakes that devastate a whole community of people. And what she has found is there's very there's similarities between these different experiences, but um, how they move from their pain into um, living for hope and, and making change in their um, community. And what she sees is that is similar to what those people share, you also see in the book of Jeremiah. And so that's why she believes that the prophet Jeremiah, as we read through it, it provides a traumatized community um, language to kind of articulate what um, the emotions of what they're going through, understanding um, that instead of being delusional, that they will like identify as being survivors and not victims. And so perhaps we haven't suffered through war or natural disasters, but I know that for many, you have experienced trauma and painful times in your lives. And so I believe that the poetry we find in Jeremiah can really speak to us. How can we view ourselves as survivors and not just victims of pain? Um, how can we see that we have our own agency in our lives, even though there are powerful forces against um, in our lives? And can we see God with us in our suffering? Can we see him as equally afflicted by what we are suffering through? And that is, um, I believe, what Jeremiah offers us. So who is Jeremiah? He's a young poet um, who speaks truth to hurting people. Kierkegaard, who's a philosopher and poet, he says, what is a poet? It's an unhappy person who conceals profound anguish in his heart, but whose lips are so formed that as sighs and cries pass over them, they sound like beautiful music. And I hope that that is true. Um, some of his poetry is very raw, um, uses things that you don't think of as beautiful music, like um, whores and, um, you know, not things that we nor normally talk about in, in church settings. I'll be honest, it's in there. Um, so let's look at who Jeremiah is and um, see how God is calling him. So just in the very first chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 1, we're going to look at what is called and known as the calling of Jeremiah. So verse 4 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, he's, God is speaking this to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew, or I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. This is poetry. It's figurative language. Um, 
you don't know that God actually touched his mouth. It can be just figurative language. But um, we learn here that Jeremiah is um, very young. So you will see this is a theme throughout Scripture that God chooses the young. Oftentimes, he's, he's the youngest brother instead of the oldest brother over and over again. And that is true with Jeremiah. We know kind of the dates that he was probably a teenager here at this point. Um, Jewish tradition even says sometimes as young as 13. So if you are around any teenagers, can you imagine God calling them to be the one that goes to speak um, to truth to power? And you can imagine um, that Jeremiah is like most teenagers. He's not really in interested in the job. You know, he, he knows that uh, the history of prophets has not been glamorous. Um, they're rarely listened to, rewarded for their words and their actions. Um, you know, they have to go speak truth to these powerful people who are not really interested in changing. And, uh, and I'm sure they weren't really interested in hearing this teenager what he um, believed they were supposed to do. And so it's not surprising that Jeremiah is not really interested in being a prophet. But God, if you see, God isn't um, really accepting his refusal. I, I like how uh, the message, which is a, a translation by Eugene Peterson, kind of records this exchange. Um, in, the, in it, he says, um, Jeremiah says, hold it, Master God, look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. And God says, don't say I'm only a boy. I'll tell you where to go, and you'll go. I'll tell you what to say, and you'll say it. Now, that's my um, interpretation, too, how I read it. Um, it seems a little like, okay, God is telling him what to do. But um, then he follows that with a really important message. He says, do not be afraid, for I am with you and will rescue you. And I just imagine that um, for Jeremiah, when we see how he suffers for his prophecy, that he returns over and over again to that promise. Don't be afraid. I am with you, and I will rescue you. And there are times in Jeremiah's life where it doesn't look like God is rescuing him, where he's thrown in jail, where people are out to kill him, where people are mad at him, where he's exiled. And I'm sure he had to over and over again return to this and say, you promised you will rescue me. And we see that even though he is frustrated, there's times that where he wants to give up, he is unable to stop, to speak out, um, and to prophesy the way God asks him to do. And so I just want us to look at one verse that is really important for us to see really what the whole job of Jeremiah is, and that is verse 10 of chapter 1. Jer Jeremiah receives this from God. He says, See today I appoint you to over... I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So we see that um, God uses these six verbs, and it's the same six verbs he uses over and over again in Jeremiah. If you read through, um, be ambitious and read through the book of Jeremiah, you will see these verbs used over and over again. The first four, uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow, those are the verbs that he, we see used over and over again for, by Jeremiah um, before 587, where he's trying to convince those people that are living in denial, he's trying to convince them of the severity of their unfaithfulness. But he is also called to build and to plant. 
And so we see these verbs um, that are used after 587 um, when the Jewish people are living in despair. He's called to tear down those practices that aren't just, to uproot their complacency, their injustice, but that's not the only job. He also is called to build up and to plant hope to people who are hurting and lost in despair. And I think that is also our job as God's people. Our job isn't to pretend like everything is great and not see the injustice around us. Our job isn't to just kind of sing praises all the time and pretend like everything is great and happy and live in denial of our own pain and the pain of others around us. But we also cannot just be people who get stuck in that pain. We have to live in a way that also builds and plants life and hope in our community and the people around us. And I, honestly, that is exhausting work. That is exhausting work. It is exhausting to speak to people who do not want to see the injustice around them, um, to sit in your own pain, and to sit with other people in pain. That is exhausting work. And it is also exhausting work to build hope, to have hope in yourself, to not lose hope yourself. And that's why we see Jeremiah crying out to God in his pain. He wants to give up at times. He wants to know, where are you, God? And I think we all can kind of relate to Jeremiah. I know I can. And so today, I promise that we're going to look at a passage of poetry that is just going to help us maybe um, hear from God in our own lives. And um, maybe for you, you kind of relate to that idea that you are in a place of denial um, about your own pain, maybe, your circumstances, your relationships. Um, how is God coming to you through this passage of poetry? Or maybe you can relate to being in a place of despair, giving up hope that life is ever going to change for you. How is God coming to you through this passage? So um, Iceland's going to pass out a short scripture passage that we find in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18. It's in English on one side, Spanish on the other. And what I want you to do, um, I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to give you some quiet time. I want you to think about um, maybe what, what part of that words jump out to you. I, it's very important to recognize the imagery that is in this passage, um, talking about a potter. And so if you've ever imagined what a potter does at a wheel, um, try to imagine what that looks like. And then what I would like you to do, um, God is speaking to Israel, but as you're reading through this, replace the name of Israel with your own name. And my hope is that um, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. I'm going to give you some quiet time to just kind of um, be present with God, um, be present maybe even in your emotions and where you are today. So Jeremiah Chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. And so I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay, it was marred in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another pot, 
shaping it as seemed best to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay and the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. So I'll give you some time to read that on your own. Then the word of the, of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. We are shaped by God, formed by him, formed by these loving, skilled hands that are continually shaping us into something useful and beautiful, and sometimes we are painfully shaped through our experiences. And it's during those times in our lives that uh, we have the opportunity to choose to trust that we are still in his hands. Trust in those merciful and creative hands of God and that he will use the pain that we go through to shape us to be containers that can be used to build and plant hope in this world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for um, those of us who are in a season of sadness, a season of um, struggle, days that it's hard to get out of bed, Lord. And I pray that you would meet us in that space, Lord that we would find hope, that we would trust that you have a plan for our future. I pray that um, this community be, be a community that um, has hope when others cannot have hope for themselves, that we would be a people who don't live in denial of the suffering of others and the suffering that we see in this world, the injustice, that we would speak out to it, but that we would not be exhausted in that work that we would also be a people of hope, hope in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this week, um, 
I, I was a little worried about this sermon series because I know everybody really likes to come on Sundays and talk about pain, right? That's something we're all like super excited about. So I, my concern about this series is we all have pain, but we all don't necessarily want to talk about it. And, um, and so how people could kind of move away, experience pain, but also experience hope. And so um, I was just reminded of that verse that, um, that God says to Jeremiah that I am with you and I will rescue you. And this week I was in the car, I'm rarely in the car, and I heard a song, Rescue, by Lauren Daigle. And I, it just really moved me, and I thought, this needs to be um, a song for this series. And so it was in the middle of the week, and I said to Iceland, hey, can this song be um, a ser our series song? And I was like, maybe this week we should use the uh, video instead of expect everybody to just kind of like, hey, can you sing the song I want you to sing? Um, but they're going to work on it for us in the future. But um, I just want this, these words in the song to kind of um, remind you of the hope that we have. And this time that we take the bread and the juice at the table is also a reminder that every time that we take the bread and the juice, that we are reminded that it was through pain. Jesus' pain that changed our lives, that give us hope in our future. And that it's a reminder that God can use our pain as well. And so um, I, I pray that during this um, song that you kind of listen to the words and that they last um, throughout the week for you. But also in that experience of taking the bread and the juice that you would remember that God is a God who who takes pain and that he brings hope out of that pain and so um, let's share that together as a family let's pray <laughs> 